CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag process. Today's topic is, is your IT team and budget a victim of process over engineering? And our guests for today's show are Jim Sills, who's the cabinet secretary and the CIO for the state of Delaware. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning, Sanjo. I'm doing fine. Uh, Thank you. Great. Great to have you uh, on our show today. And we have Debbie Simpkins, the Associate Vice President in the Office of the CIO for Molina Healthcare. How are you, Debbie? I'm great this morning. Thank you. Great. Now, the focus for our show today is actually a systemic problem that we have seen many people uh, talk about and complain about in many cases, which is affecting the IT department where the public or private sector may be the case, or it is in a big or a small company. Everyone wants to move much more quickly and also save money as part of them trying to do the projects and initiatives that they take on. But many a times, the red tape and complications which essentially get put in place because we wanted to have that overarching process is basically slowing people down. And they say that while we might have the greatest people, we are becoming victim of the process over engineering. So that's the genesis of the topic. So to that first question I have for you, Jim, what is the fine line? Because everybody wants to say, I want to have a great process. And if there's a problem, I will engineer or re-engineer that process. But where does it cross over to become over-engineered? That's a great question. Um, I think I, I'd like to do some level setting. I think it's critical that organizations have a process in place for their business case process or their project review process. I think you have to have a process. In my experience, the pendulum has been swinging back and forth. So four or five years ago, when the economy was down, all of a sudden organizations really wanted to tighten up and have a really stringent or over-governance process. And so I think the, um, the involvement by the business areas and the technology sector really determines that fine line between re-engineering or over-engineering. So the business units, they have certain processes that they have to follow in terms of the type of, their, type of request, is there funding? You know, what's the payback period? And then the technology, technology sector has the same or different kinds of processes. So when you combine all of those, that's when I think it's just over-engineered and people just get frustrated and they complain about the process. Debbie, the question here is that there are some people who feel they are the victim, but many others are just following the process because it has been laid out there, and they may not have that issue. So how do we know that we have created some victims there as part of us trying to satisfy everyone at the same time? You know, I think it's actually very hard to realize that when you're in the middle of it. You know, I think the definition of what it means to be over-engineered is pretty simple. You know, you're seeing a decline in performance or you're seeing a marginal improvement, and it's difficult to really detect what the source of that is. You know, it's especially true of growing companies who looked at their same portfolio process year after year, 
but they're not dynamically changing to uh, you know the flexible circumstances that they need that they need to basically respond to the business. So you know one of the things we've done here at, at Molina is we've actually looked more of an evergreen process. So we're so we're looking at initiatives as they're coming in. Um, and as opposed to defining everything up front from a budget perspective, we're trying to be more flexible for the business circumstances that are coming our way versus trying to lock everything in at this over-precise level at the beginning of the year. So that's working well for us because it's giving us the flexibility. It's taking pressure off of our resources internally here. Um, and it's getting us a little bit out of the victim role because we're doing the hard work up front to decide really what those initiatives should be versus versus trying to address them right out of right out of uh, the annual budgeting process when we don't really know everything yet. Do you think, uh, Jim, if you were to look at any of these situations, do we really come to know that we have created something? Nobody wants to do any, no, do any harm to an organization. So when someone tries to put in governance and they try to say, I want to know each and everything that's going on as the money gets, uh, as the projects get rationalized and then you try to allocate funds and then you assign it to different projects and the way it's consumed. You want visibility, but do we go uh, beyond uh, a certain level and that's where it starts triggering some frustration, some victimization, and some over-engineering? Yes, I agree uh, with, with your question. It's almost a statement. I think people get frustrated because we focus more on the process and not the outcome of whatever it is that we're intending to implement. And so it's really amazing to me that sometimes our project managers, they get happy because they were able to get that particular initiative through the initial front-end process, whereas, you know, you still have to implement the project. So I think it's, it's a matter of communicating the expectation of we have to go through this process. These are the outcomes. These are the steps. This is what we need to do. And I think that helps reduce some of that frustration, but people have to know what it is on the front end. Debbie, you mentioned that you take care of all the hard work uh, that is required up front so that we, we reduce victimization, but do you think there is still a chance of once you put a simple, a relatively simple process, which knowingly nobody, it's not victimizing anyone, and mm -hmm. as you start living that process, it somehow starts get tweaked because people want to improve it and then suddenly victimization or over-engineering kicks in, and, and we, we start living with it, and it's an incremental improvement, so no one really feels where it crossed the line. Um, yeah, I think that happens a lot. I think it happens, you know, organizations are um, like organisms. You know, you have different lines of business. You have different incentives sometimes for each of those lines of business. So as you're going through the process of trying to prioritize things, there's different, like Jim said, different objectives and criteria that are looking at these investments under. And when you look at, like, the, the portfolio in, of investments, um, it, you know, they're really driven by the business. Um, but when you look at the cost associated with them, 75% of usually the cost is is going to be an IT support function to execute that. And so when you're trying to negotiate across all of those lines of business and also trying to explain the finances of, of IT, it, which a lot of people don't understand from an accounting perspective, it can get a little complicated. Um, and so I can see situations in our company where people are trying to put in short-term solutions or previous companies, um, and um, they don't always help in the long run.
Now, one statement was made, or rather uh, observation that was made by somebody who is in the trenches, and it's a live example that uh, I personally came across, where people at the top who actually rationalized the projects and, or allocated budgets or uh, figured out a way how the process should run, they made a lot of assumptions, but that was not compared and or confirmed with people in the trenches and those assumptions not being true that's where the victimization kicked in. So do you think whenever you put a uh, governance process, and this is for you, Jim, is it by design that we do it at the top and, and then we figure out how it's going to impact the folks at the bottom and then we start fixing it? Is that how it's supposed to be? Well, that's another great question. You know, the top, the people at the top, they want results and they really do not care about the process, so to speak. Uh, your project managers, your technology teams, they really want to make sure that we follow a process to make sure we're getting the desired outcomes. And so I just think it's, again, uh, very important that you're setting that expectation for the people at the top because they're normally they're the ones who are actually signing off to initiate that project and to provide the funding. And so yeah, I think you have to tell them this is what we have to go through to get to what you're looking for. And I think the people, you know, the people who are really doing the work, and I don't like the term they're at the bottom because they're the ones that are really executing and deploying the solution, they have to be cognizant that it's going to take some time to get through all the different toll gates to make sure we doing, we're doing this correctly, whatever that initiative is. So, Debbie, do you think there would be situations where people at the uh, at the top, and I would not want to use it. I like uh, the way you said, Jim, because these guys are important people, people who are doing the execution. Um, so if, if they are not consulted with, or maybe even if they were consulted with, do you think there's a communication gap somewhere where the messages or the, the validation of assumptions did not reach up uh, all mm -hmm. the way up to the top at the time when they were really putting the process down? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree with Jim that, um, you know, the people at the top, they want results, but they also make decisions sometimes without looking at the impact to what can be executed and the cost associated with that. And that's usually the last piece of a, of a portfolio process to be put in, is being able to match the flexibility of decisions uh, to change the portfolio with execution and be realistic about it. Um, you know, at the same time, um, I can see that we're not as effective in communicating those impacts because we don't always have the data uh, associated with that to be able to support that decision-making. Um, so um, oftentimes decisions are made um, without looking at the impact, and, and when you have these types of changes, um, it impacts your productivity. It means you're, you're switching resources around. There is a productivity loss associated with that, and also the number of initiatives that people are working on also impacts that. We're not doing a good job of educating our senior leaders, and some of them, um, you're right, they, they don't care. They just want it done. So we have to find unique ways of getting that done, and unfortunately, um, you know, the best and brightest and hardest workers that get things done get impacted by that. So, Jim, you are at the top, and you are one of those people who are uh, essentially making those decisions, and I'm sure you also make assumptions. Would you have any instances where you corrected your assumptions because people in the trenches who are actually very important, who are executing, 
and came and gave you some suggestions and you had to fight your way through along with other, like you're not the only stakeholder, there are others too, and make a case so that the process was saved from being victimized. Yeah, I'm, I'm a poor example because a lot of times I will circumvent the process because I understand the process. So I think, again, it's one of those things where I want to work as closely with my business customers so they understand the process so that people who are executing the project or implementing it don't feel victimized by, you know, the rush and the um, – the ability to kind of take shortcuts. And I think that hurts the organization when you do that uh, frequently. So I don't pull that card out of, my, out of my wallet very often, but sometimes I have to do that. And when you mentioned that you circumvent the process, I'm sure you do it with the best intentions. And that's because expedite, and do you think that also could create a bug in the system and could cause more harm than good? I think if you continue to do that, um, it makes people wonder, why do we follow the process? And you really don't want your entire organization questioning the process. As I stated you know, early on in our conversation this morning, it's critical that you have a process. You just can't have people going around the process. But I also know if something has to be done and it has, let's say, a revenue impact, you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to get it done, irrespective of the process. You can't do that every on every single initiative, though. So that's that's my uh, my two cents, and I'm sticking to it. That's my story. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Debbie, when we come back, how about taking this example and saying what is that going to create as a message for the people who are doing the execution, and how do you make sure that this can be minimized? Because this is also one of the examples we heard where while they would say at the at the top. Where that we want this process to be followed to the T, but they themselves will break it. What do you do to minimize that? And if at all this has to be done, how can it be done gracefully so it doesn't create damage to the organization? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HPE is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Debbie, how do we handle these issues gracefully where if we do want to circumvent the process, and that is because there is a revenue realization at stake, rest of the world would not understand because we never shared that particular thing and we are creating an exception. An exception does not always uh, 
is mm-hmm. is accepted or received very well by people who are always supposed to be sticking with the process. That's right. So a, a, a recent example at Molina is uh, we bought a hospital. We provided TPA solutions for a hospital, and we had 30 days to implement it. And we are also going live with marketplace and we were going live with healthcare reform as a healthcare company. A lot of strain, got it done, but there were other initiatives that um, did have to get pushed out. So one of the things that, that I've seen done that works really well is being able to have those prioritization discussions about what really needs to be focused on in what time frame. We have a we have a centralized EPMO that helps us kind of facilitate that process. The other thing that I've seen work well is common goals with the business um, about what gets executed around the portfolio, as well as visibility for the cost. <laughs> um, I agree with Jim. We always have to go after the revenue opportunities. There's no, there's no, um, there's no option at that point. We have to execute and get that done. But when you work with the business customers and they help you be advocates um, for that, because they're also seeing the shared financial strain of the organization to get it done, they then make decisions. I think that help us um, be able to manage that process. Um, the other thing that I've seen work well is when there's really tight coordination between the portfolio process and the finance team that's dictating the overall budget. Because we all know we all know that your capital budget is just one slice. It could be a big slice for an organization. It could be a relatively small slice based on what your uh, what your business is. Um, if if we can tie that to the overall financials of the company um, and still make it realistic to execute, that really that really helps us because then management is really forced then to make decisions about what's the most important thing for their strategy. So I Jim, that- while we spend uh, a lot of money on different initiatives and we watch every penny what was spent on resources and also uh, and technology and also on people. Do you really, in your organization, or have you seen other leaders like yourself in their respective organization, really quantify what's being spent on the process part? Because if that was the case, then it will show you a lot of red signs, and you will be able to proactively fix those versus living with it as is. Um, I, the, uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. I would say, generally speaking, no, we do not quantify the front-end process part. Of, uh, of a project. Uh, I think when people complain loud enough that they're frustrated on why does the process take so long, that's when we go back, we start flow charting the process and trying to figure out where are there opportunities to maybe streamline, you know, whatever we're actually doing. Uh, one point that I just want to make that I think is really critical is that if you if an organization has one process that's trying to fit all types of project size initiatives, you know, different you know, if they have one process to fit every type of project, I think that hurts an organization. I think it's critical that you have you know, some shortcuts, some thresholds, some ability to do high-level ROMs so you can kind of figure out like on the back of an envelope, kind of the cost, the duration, and the impact of resources. I think you have to be a little bit flexible and not just be so rigid that we have to follow the process no matter what, even if people are actually frustrated. But to answer your question, I would say, generally speaking, people do not do that. They don't go back and quantify what it's taking uh, from, you know, to go from step A to step Z. And you did mention that you feel that there should be a number of different problems 
process flavors, if you will, which will allow you to create the right type of critical path or the shortest, shortest path to uh, accomplishing that particular uh, goal or related goals. Do you think there could be a mapping in case you have those flavors floating? Do you think there is a ready-made, uh, very clear mapping that this type of initiative based on these weighted factors should have this particular process to be followed? I think it depends on the size of the organization. So I worked for one of the largest banks at one time in the United States, and they were very rigid. They had a um, very rigid process. They used a uh, PMO, PMO tool called Clarity. So they were very rigid, and so they really didn't care. And, you know, revenues were tight. The banking industry was really strained during this particular period. So, you know, it was just one of those situations where they just said, we're going to do it this way no matter what. Debbie, when you look at the responses, uh, you know, the way Jim provided, and I'm sure you look at your organization the way mm -hmm. you landed, what, are, mm -hmm. what is your take on making sure that the process itself is quantified or measured and the fact that if there were to be flavors created, they are to be mapped? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'd respond the same way as Jim does. We don't do a good job of measuring the front-end process, but having said that, um, that's history now. We're actually implementing and automating our front-end process now, and so we've actually had to uh, look at it in detail. And I was actually um, a little bit flabbergasted when we went through the process flows because they looked much more complicated, <laughs> more steps, uh, more handoffs. And so I did make the team go back and actually put in um, a few of the things that Jim just talked about. I mean, if you have a smaller enhancement, why bog it down with going through um, a business case justification when you need to get it done in six weeks and, and, it's, and it's a compliance thing? And so we've, we've built other processes to be able to carve those out, um, scope them, carve them out. And we've also built touch points in with other lines of business that are driven by different governance um, in our organization. So if it's a new business or revenue opportunity, we treat it very differently than we do um, a big data project or something, you know, something that we really needed to, to have a business case on before we even invested with the vendor. So, so we do have those flavors where the business case has to be done before it even goes and needs to be reviewed with the top executives. We have other circumstances, and I think that's just grown organically over time. If I had to map it out, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I could do it, but, but it works for Molina at this size of company that we are now. And fortunately, we do have kind of a simple process where all of that gets rationalized from a project management perspective. So, so we've done a, a, a better job of distinguishing when something's approved, um, you're delivering. Jim, if you were to take a scenario where you have an initiative and you say you've rationalized it and you say, I'm going to allocate budget to it, for that you request an estimate from an organization which does not have all the staff necessary for uh, them to be able to go down to the T and, and basically look at every nook and corner and what all exactly would they need. So would they, would you request them to just give you a budget which is like a uh, guesstimate if you will and then uh, you know um, allocate that budget and when they have to come back after they have been assigned the resources they go and do a detailed due diligence to find that there was an incremental funding requirement then you'll make them go through the whole process again is that how you do it 
Yeah, I actually like that approach. Um, I think a lot of times it's real important to kind of get that number on the front end. So even if it's a, a range, you know, it's between a million and a million five. So at least you know it's in that particular bucket. Go ahead. If the business unit wants to fund that project or launch it, let's go ahead and get it started. So we complete a an initial estimate. And then once the project kind of gets up and running and we're going through all the various phases, we'll go back and we'll do a final estimate. But one of the things we do in our organization, and we did this in the, my last organization, we always compared that final estimate to that initial estimate and also that initial swag that we, uh, that we, uh, we provided. And we started to track that. And so then we could go back and say, well, over the last uh, – year, they've always been 20% higher. So this way, we know we really don't have to allocate. Uh, we could reduce the allocation of capital by 20% because it's been trending, generally speaking, across over these 10 or 15 projects a lot lower than what has been estimated in the, in the past. So I think that's an important um, uh, step uh, to do within your organization to kind of check yourself to, to determine how realistic are these estimates? And, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a best practice to make. So Jim's example, and this is a question for you. So Jim's example is when the original estimate that was taken and, and based on experience, it looked like they would be always 20% over. And so it's, it's safe for them to say, I'm going to give you 20% less and you will come right on time and life will be good. Now imagine a situation where they were allowed to do this guesstimate and they were asked to be frugal and they go ahead and give an estimate which is not going to be in reality adequate to do the complete job. So they ask for a million and they will require a million too at the end of it. But that to get those 200,000 additional, they have to go through the whole process again until that time the elapsed time is maybe a month. That delays the project, that delays the initiatives, the deadlines and what you want as the outcome. Is that one for me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, um, typically, um, and this is something that's just, you know, project management, um, part of the project management process is you don't have to go back to the well unless it's a, a, a checkpoint because there is a change management process. Um, so if you do have that scenario, there's there unless it's just an overage, you, you can go back to the to the well and say I've had a scope change and um, these were the circumstances of when we of when we you know originally budgeted the project and what we estimated at, but it was really early and so so there are checkpoints where you can come back and reassess the funding. Um, I've seen a lot of organizations have this, and in some cases, if the project uh, does not evolve to where um, the organization is really wanting it to, it's an opportunity to kill that project. And, uh, you know, I think that that's the, kind of the beauty of the portfolio process and 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 um, that working in tandem with the project delivery process because um, you are looking at initiatives across the entire portfolio to look at what's, what's most important to the company. So hopefully we're not bogging people down by coming back uh, to the well and saying our scope changed. It's actually going to be more than what we, what we intended if that's critical to the organization to get that done. Um, so I think it just depends on an organization has organized their process. Um, what we do at, at Molina is we actually, if it's a transformation initiative, if it's a, if it's a, a huge vendor investment, we do take the time to do a pretty detailed business case and deep design, end-to-end -end process design in, uh, ahead of that. 
um, if it's a business transformation project, that could take three or four months and that gets funded. And so we've tried to be a little bit more realistic with the type of work that comes in and how work really gets done without bogging down the process. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. Jim, when we come back, let's look at who all should be participating in this whole process, whether it is the budgeting part, allocation part, and uh, the actual execution part in in a kind of a steering committee who's gonna, which is going to make sure that uh, we will have successful uh, allocation and actual execution of the project. It looks like some people are more rece- recipient of the final decisions versus participating versus being allowed to participate in that whole process. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. All right, welcome back. Uh, so, uh, Jim, when we when we actually put this whole process together and we try to execute, and when you initially kick anything off, who all are seen or supposed to be uh, the stakeholders in this whole um, environment or, or to, to make this initiative successful? Do you go all the way to the people who are in execution uh, and make them a stakeholder or they are more recipients? And Because that's been seen as they are more of recipients of such decisions versus being invited. And if that's the case, then why is that? Why are they being left out? I would say generally speaking, you want to involve as many of the um, players as possible. So I think, you, you know, as Debbie said, you really want to have, you know, your finance team, your budget team, the functional end users, the business unit sponsor, the technical people, the project manager, the PMO team. I think it's critical that you're as transparent as as possible. Um, You know, there are certain metrics that you want to kind of track. You want to look at the total spend. You want to make sure it's broken down by uh, personnel, software, hardware, you know, uh, contract, contract, contractual support. But I think the, 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 the big thing is, is this initiative, is it, is it aligned with the spend plan and the budget and the priority of the company? Or the organization, and I think that helps people become comfortable and not get frustrated with the process. 
Debbie, if you were to take a look at, at hindsight is twenty twenty at any of those projects that we, that may have been executed, would you see opportunities to if you were to do the, them again, would you see opportunities for any tweaks or quantum improvements in the process that was used to execute those projects, and as a result, you would have actually uh, been able to get better results overall, qualitatively and quantitatively. Um, yeah, you know, I think that um, we have a um, benefits statement for every single project that we execute. Uh, but um, I think the issue that a lot of organizations go encounter is going back and really understanding the value and the actual dollars associated with the savings of that initiative. I've seen organizations have actually pretty rigorous processes around that and, and do takeouts um, around the budget. In terms of project execution, um, you know, it, I think that there are um, a lot of initiatives that uh, that fail because there's not the support that's needed in the organization to be able to really buy into maybe, uh, you know, the new technology or that the business process really doesn't warrant that level of technology. Um, if I had to go back and look at, I guess, some of the initiatives, actually, we, we've been doing pretty good in terms of delivery at Molina. We've not had a lot of failures because we haven't been able to afford them. Um, if I had to go back and say what would be kind of the number one thing that I would what that I would push for, it would be really the portfolio um, owner or the business owner of that set of projects be very, very present and involved in the execution of those those projects so we can get clear direction around priority and also engagement around the execution of those projects. Because at the end of the day, you know, they're accountable for living with it long term and we're accountable for supporting it. And so there really has to be that partnership and that goal alignment with the business about what the what is the benefit of, of executing this project for the organization and then uh, you know hopefully the measurement of that. Jim, do you think there is a process police of sorts that can be justified within an organization so that at any given time any initiative that is going on on these people have got nothing to do with what exactly is going to be the outcome, what the initiative is, how it's going to help the business. They are more policing the process and seeing where people are either getting victimized in or it has been uh, overcomplicated and basically raise the uh, bar for how efficient we make a process. I believe there are people who um, play that role of being that process uh, police woman or, or person. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, a really good PMO organization has certain metrics that they are following to say, you know, how long did it take to initiate it? How long did it take to get the first approval? How long did it take to get the funding? And so they're, they should be monitoring all those steps to make sure it's just not getting bogged down in the process. And so I think it's healthy to question that and look at that and also to publish those metrics uh, on your, you know, your IT or PMO website so people understand kind of where you are in the process. So do you think if that was really the responsibility of PMO or EPMO and this problem still persists, then there is something to be done about it so that this problem goes away? Because we are, if you're talking about this and everyone, all three of us are talking about issues that exist today, then is PMO to blame? 
No, I, what I'm what I'm saying is no. There's no there's no blame or fault. But once you realize there's a problem, let's say it's the senior IT leader in that organization, or the senior person responsible for the PMO, they have to be willing to step in and change the process and, and, and examine it and try to figure out why is it getting bogged down or why are people complaining, and you may have to come up with new processes. But I don't think you want to just over-engineer it so it frustrates people. I think you want to make it as flexible and transparent as possible. Debbie, would you agree that because of this over-engineering in many cases, we do uh, suffer from uh, spending more money and more time than usual on projects and initiatives and also cause frustration? And if that's the case, I'd like to use a saying from Mark Twain here. He says, I would have written a shorter letter, but I did not have the time. So if we know the problem exists and we want to make sure that it doesn't happen going forward, so are we taking a pause and looking at what we are doing and actually fix those things versus saying we will just figure it out, we will just live with it and, and fix it as it comes? Yeah, I think many times the organizations do default to that um, because it's easier. You know, it's easier to, to live with the process than it is to um, dig in, especially when you're moving a mile, you know, a thousand miles a minute. Um, I think the much harder work is getting down to a really simple, elegant design that represents the process without bogging it down. Um, it's just tremendously hard because in order to do that, you need to really understand the full complexity of the project. You need the full complexity of what the problem is you're trying to solve to get to that simple solution that's going to that's gonna really um, – satisfy all the stakeholders and um, make sure the process at the end of the day is, is defendable so people aren't asking, why are you, why are you uh, making me go through a change request process that takes six weeks to get funding? So um, I, I think that doing the hard work is much harder because you are having to also change the organization. There's an organizational change management piece of that that people are now accountable for. We have this information that's available. Take, for example, Jim's dashboard of PMO metrics that um, now they're expected to do something with. And so um, I think that also requires a lot of leadership to reinforce the accountability of the role um, of the different players in the organization to respond to those metrics and, and be able to focus on the execution of projects. So, so the simplest solutions, I think, are always the hardest ones to find. And, um, but, you know, I do agree with Jim that we need to keep on searching for those solutions and encouraging people to revisit metrics, to revisit, you know, the, the projects and finding better, better solutions if they're finding that projects are failing. So. so, Jim, I totally agree with you, Debbie, that it's hardest to make things the simplest. Now, uh, Jim, do you think all the metrics that you mentioned and even many other organizations are already overloaded with a number of different data points? But how many of those data points are actually actionable so that you can say, if I see this number or below it or above it, this is X, Y, Z is what I have to do in order to bring an incremental improvement? Do you think that matching of a number to an action, is yeah. that created yet or we are still in the R&D phase? Uh, I would say some organizations are looking at that metric in terms of how long does it take for a business case to get through their entire process. And I think that um, it's just one of those things where you, you have to kind of monitor it to make sure 
things are flowing through that process. I mean, I, I just don't have a really good answer for you, but I just think it's it's, it's you're not going to – you still have to follow the process, but you really want to make it as easy as possible, and you have to be willing to change it if you have to. So say a number is three, and, and we have to define what three is, and we say we want to make it to two or four. What is it that can be done realistically? Because we know we are struggling. So if we had to take that, I'd think like a child for an example. They say, why is this two? And why should it be three? If it is three, why should it be two or four? And what are you going to take it to? What will you do to make it three or four or two or four? So what would be be a thought process which will be required? What do you think? Who all should put their heads together to come up with that simple, relatively simple one-to-one mapping to say this metrics requires improvement or, or reduction in terms of number, and this is what we will do to get there. Again, I think it's a combination of people, you know, uh, in terms of your technology people, your uh, PMO people, and also your business people, because they're the ones that are actually submitting a lot of times those business cases. And so I think you want to have certain metrics like the payback period, um, you know, how long does it take to, you know, the duration. I just think, you know, you have to, you have to share the information to make sure that, you know, people understand what it is that they're requesting and understand how these metrics impact what you're doing. So I think Debbie has a, probably a better answer than I do, but I'm going to turn it over to Debbie. Okay. I, I was just going to comment, you know, what is it that you're looking for in the metrics to deliver for a process? And I think you brought up a good point, that they need to be actionable and understood, that somebody can make a decision based on that data, that they're really – that the numbers can be translated into some type of data where somebody like Jim can assess risks and benefits and trade-offs and be able to make a decision, that they're predictive um, and that we can compare them over time. And Jim gave a great example of that earlier in terms of estimation over the project life cycle. So the the people, they think that, I think there's different accountabilities for different types of metrics. And the ones that we've identified today are mostly, in my view, kind of portfolio types of, portfolio project management types of metrics. And each organization might look at that differently. But in terms of the portfolio, um, you know, what I always look for is how, healthy, um, I always look for really how, how can we execute the portfolio? What's the balance of the portfolio demand to our capacity? And that's one of the number one things that I'm working on is how do we, I communicate that effectively and how does that influence the, the sequencing of projects and scheduling over time? Um, from a portfolio execution status perspective, so how is the health of the portfolio and how do I make decisions about that? One of the metrics might be how many projects are going into your um, development phase and do I have enough developers to actually support all of those or do I need to augment staff and is that going to require a budget decision? So I think it's going to be different for every, every organization based on what they are trying to do with their portfolio process because in some cases, some people are just trying to get a decision made. <laughs> they're, not, they're smaller organizations. They don't need um, you know, the level of rigor that we're talking about. In some cases, they really, really need it to make sure they make the hardest decision, which is what not to do. Uh, and the metrics change over time is the only other thing I was going to mention is with the metric that was meaningful to you two years ago may not be meaningful to you today. So you need to keep on revisiting that. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Debbie, I would like to come back yet again and ask for, uh, because you mentioned about portfolio process. What do you do to handle those pet projects which are forced on the organization and the team because it is coming from the top and they say, we want to get it done yesterday, put everything aside. What is the approach to handling it and how do you make sure that the rest of the projects where money has been allocated, resources have been allocated, and there are only limited number of resources available, they are not put to the side and they're twiddling their thumbs while this pet project from a top executive gets executed. How do you prevent it and what's the best solution there? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HPE is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So a top executive has a pet project, which may, yes, have a business value, but it also a personal ego trip, if you will. What do you do? when you have your portfolio process, which you have uh, preserved and treasured and also evangelized that this is how we will do the projects. How do you handle it, Debbie? Well, I'm not going to say it depends on the executive because it does. Usually those types of things come down from the people who own the company. So, so we get those done. It's their, it's their company and they're very smart management people. And we, uh, we execute those projects because in most cases they're either revenue-based or transformation-based for our company. So I trust our leadership in making those decisions. There's other types of scenarios where, you know, maybe a top executive, and I've had this happen a couple of times before, goes out and sees a, uh, a new technology, and they want to implement it. They want to replace what we have today, um, and, um, or it's what they used at their previous, uh, you know, they used at their previous job, and they are committed to it being the best um, thing possible. My requirement is that they do due diligence on it, and then we look to see if it's duplicate, duplicated in our environment, and that there is a pre-vetting process. Um, it may tie into your procurement process, but, but that before you make another $2 million, $3 million investment in hardware that, and software that we may already have, let's at least go through the process to make sure um, that we're selecting the right direction. Jim, so, so to this particular measure there. So, so Jim, in, in this case, the way Debbie ex- explained that, yes, we go ahead and do it, but do you think it also – does create some sort of a leakage in the other projects which were to be done, and this became more of a disruption, 
and the value that the, those folks who were at the top thinking that they will get out of this uh, new initiative gets offset and the, the value is actually reduced. Do we go back and tell those folks that, hey, whatever you said, you'll make a million dollars, but you also lost 500000 because of you intruding into the process or you're disrupting the process? Yeah, I think as the IT leader, it's incumbent on you to understand the business impacts of that particular project. You know, what's the return on investment? What's the payback period? You know, what's how does it position your company in the market? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to go back and explain that to your technical team so they understand that this has a bottom line impact to the company, and that's why we're prioritizing this particular initiative. Generally speaking, you will put resources on that high-profile project, but you may slow down that other two or three projects that were competing for resources. You're still working on them, but they're just going at a slower pace because you don't want to just stop those initiatives. You kind of just want to still make progress on them, but concentrate, you know, your resources on the high profile initiative. I've been in that situation many times. And when I can explain it to those various technical teams, why from a business perspective, they normally will get it. And they appreciate me taking the time to kind of explain it to them. We all along spoke about us making decisions based on data and imagine the data's veracity is, yes, we will give it a benefit of doubt and we would trust it and try to make our decision. But what if we cannot? What if there are people who are part of that whole organization and who are owning the different segments of the process do not want the real data to come out because that could cost them their job? How do you figure out if that's the case and how do you get this corrected? And this is a question for you, Debbie. Wow. I was hoping you'd throw that to Jim. <laughs> um, you know, data, we call it data um, because it's it's supposed to um, be, um, you know, generated by, by some human somewhere, some machine somewhere. My hope is um, nobody would get nobody would get fired over that. But what I do see is that we don't always do a good do a good job of coming up with a common language around what data means. Um, and I'll just give the example of all of the finance organizations working together with IT, um, which has a little bit different financial orientation. And, you know, trying to, to understand a common language around the different people that consume that financial, that financial data, whether it's related to projects, whether it's related to operations. What, I, what I've seen happen is that, you know, sometimes uh, procurement's trying to solve their particular problem, and that causes pain to accounting. So that's a process then we have to go fix, or um, vice versa. Accounting makes decisions, and it, and it impacts the whole budgeting process and uh, puts more onus on, on different folks. So, so that cross-functional design, I think, is really the key to getting processes that work well with an organization, because um, it's not just uh, folks working in isolation. The financial process really covers so many different areas, including the portfolio process. So many people play a different role in that. So my hope is we'd have understanding about data and go back and fix those things and, and develop a common language around it so we can get to yes um, about what decisions we're going to use that data for. How do we double-check? This is a question for you. 
uh, Jim, how do you double check the data which has been presented, which gets rolled up into some metrics based on which you're making a decision from the veracity standpoint? It's not that we are trying to say anyone is unethical, but there are things which could go wrong in an organization and human beings behave rather interestingly when their job is at stake. I'll just tell you a quick story. Uh, I I was in a role that required me to kind of double check the the business benefit of a particular project and also question the technology cost of a particular project. And it was a pretty interesting role, and I would have to present those results to our capital expense committee kind of on a quarterly basis. And so that's how we would kind of figure out if something was not meeting its business case or it was kind of uh, falling behind in terms of being implemented from a development standpoint. And so I think you have to have that type of person or that kind of role within your organization, especially on the large-scale initiatives, you know, the multimillion-dollar projects, because you don't want to waste resources and time working on something that may not pay off in the long run. Last question for both of you, 30 seconds each. So, Debbie, starting with you, if you had to take a step back and look at all the things that we spoke about and look at also the answers to which we did not have, uh, the questions that we asked to which we did not have good answers, what would be your appeal to the stakeholders, to the people who are managing the portfolio, and to the people who feel that they're victimized because of lack of uh, that clarity that is needed in order for them to be able to do their job? What would be your appeal? How do they get better at what they do? Uh, my appeal would be to, um, you know, that, that at the end of the day, we need to take care of our employees and we do need to come up with good processes. I think intuitively we know the areas are probably that are broken and need work, um, but there is a tension around needing the resources to do that. So my, my plea would be actually let's, let's focus on it and, and focus on making progress in those areas. So, Jim, if you would have to give some actionable advice, some specific actions that can be taken by leaders at your level, by the people who are running the process or governing it, and the people who are executing, what would those be? I would say, number one, I think it's critical that IT and your business leadership work as closely as possible together. I think it's also important that you look for opportunities to improve the process, and that actually will help the organization because people will understand that you are flexible and you're willing to change. So those would be the two things that I would really just focus on. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Jim and Perhaps that's the journey that we all live. Thank you so much again. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you, uh, listeners, hope you got value out of it. Uh, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel.
CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.